welcome. Welcome to The Connected Generation. My name is Nikia Anani and I'm your host. Oh, this week. Oh my goodness. I loved this conversation with Sandra Francisco, who's a great friend. She's a business coach and she helps entrepreneurs go from idea to profit while also balancing their personal growth so that they have true fulfillment and extraordinary profit. Sandra was in corporate for many years and she was beasting it, doing really well in her professional career when a change of fate and personal crisis forced her to reconsider her life's path. And she shares more about this in the episode. So I encourage you to tune in and listen in. She shares about her journey and how she overcame her personal challenges, but also shares tips for business owners, family businesses, entrepreneurs, and the rest. So tune in and enjoy. Hi, Sandra. Welcome to The Connects Generation. It's awesome to have you today. Thank you for having me. I'm so excited for our conversation. Yes. So tell us more about Sandra. What has been your journey to where you are today? You help entrepreneurs find purpose with seeking profit. Am I correct? Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, it's funny. I'm always like, when does the journey start? I was born. (laughs) (laughs) Back in 1991. (laughs) Oh, Margaret and Bill had a daughter. (laughs) (laughs) Right. Right. I'm always like, where do you start? But so, yeah, for me, actually, so the journey to entrepreneurship actually was 11 years ago was when I left my corporate job. And for me, it wasn't that typical. I have this desire. I want to start a business. It actually happened through a series of events. I started Hmm. to experience really intense anxiety the year before I left corporate. And then, you know, I went through a whole bunch of tests trying to figure out and diagnose what it was. And because it didn't pronounce as anxiety, it kind of took a while for somebody to even say to me, well, we've tried everything else. Like we've done all these tests and you really just need to, almost like this doctor was, you need to just accept that it's anxiety. And I was like, no one's ever said that to me before. And it was really intense because I would go three to four days without sleeping. With wow. My heart rate was like 160, 180 consistently. So you constantly feel like you're about to die because you feel like you're having a heart attack for days. So after medical community basically didn't fix me because that's what I was kept working, kept waiting for the fix. And then they're like, well, you're going to have to look at this as anxiety. I felt like, well, now I have to heal myself. Not that they said, but that's what I interpreted. So I decided my health's at stake here. I can't keep trying to do this job. And now I'm supposed to heal myself. So I decided to resign, which was not an easy decision because I was so identified with that role. I mean, it really was me at the time. I just didn't have a lot of other elements to my worldview, I guess. And I was so attached to it. But because my life was at stake, I decided to resign. And then I started to go on this journey. I mean, I did seek help and therapists and all that, but I also felt like I had to do this for myself. So I went to the library got this amazing little book that really, really helped me to heal through the anxiety. And then at the same time, I realized of two months into being home, I was like, well, this isn't better because now I'm just home doing nothing. This is making the anxiety worse. So I actually went and studied nutrition. And it was there that I started to meet people that were entrepreneurs that already had businesses or were building businesses. And it was my first exposure to that environment because before that, everybody I knew had jobs and that was the only world that I knew. And then I started to just give them advice and help them just because of my background is in business and in product development. So they had great ideas, but they didn't always have all of the fundamentals and the strategies to bring this to life. 
So it just, it was just casual. I was really just helping them. And then the feedback was, well, you should just do this for a living. Cause I was thinking I'd go back and get a job when I got better. Mm. And then it was one client led to the next, led to a consulting business, then led wow. to coaching. So that's kind of how it started, which looking back, I feel it was almost like divine timing that it was, you need to leave this job. now. You need to start a different world, I guess. Gosh, there's so much of what you said in your life story that is eerily similar to mine. I also had at some point a condition where I couldn't work and I had debilitating pain all over my back, my shoulders, my neck, my chest. It was just like all around my body and it was exacerbated by repetitive activities like typing, writing. And as an accountant, clearly you can see that it wasn't really working, right? It wasn't the greatest work environment for me. And doctors had no answers. Like you, I was searching for what's the root cause, what's causing this. And I remember when the doctors then began to say, well, if we can't find the cause, maybe it's stress. Maybe you're stressed out. Maybe we need to change your lifestyle. And I'm like, change my lifestyle. This is my identity. (laughs) So I really relate to what you're talking about 100%. And like you said, it's hard. It's hard to go through that journey where you're forced to accept a new season. You're forced to reinvent yourself. You're forced to rediscover yourself. How did you deal with that? For me, because I was in the midst of this really intense anxiety, I was already forced to heal my body. I felt like, well, I have to put out this fire. That's what it felt like to me. So the identity piece was kind of pushed off a year. So right when I left, a lot of people that I work with, they deal with it immediately. Next day, they're like, oh my God, who am I when I wake up? But because I had this intensity of the anxiety, I had to deal with that first. So it's kind of a year later when it took me eight months to really heal fully from the physical symptoms of the anxiety. And then once I was feeling better, it really hit me. I was like, oh, who am I now? Mm. And even in social gatherings, you're used to kind of talking about the job and people would ask you about this and that. And then it would be like, no one's even really asking me because they don't know what to say to me because they're like, well, you do nothing now. So do we even talk to you? So there was this whole blank slate But it was very stressful at first because it was, am I nothing now? Who am I? So that forced me to then look into the personal development world and the self-awareness. It kind of brought me into that journey because I was just like, well, what do I say I am now? And it didn't start as an inner journey at first because I didn't even know what that was. It was more like outer journey of, I have to find a new identity so I can tell people how to talk to me now. (laughs) Oh my God, Sandra. You're like reciting my life. (laughs) So I want to ask a couple of questions. So you're openly talking about the season where you had horrible anxiety attacks. Did you ever feel ashamed about this? And I really applaud your vulnerability and your openness to talk about, because it's not easy. If you did feel shame, at what point did you start sharing about this? And did you start owning it as part of your story? So here's the interesting thing. I didn't naturally feel shame, but somebody did try to put shame on me that took me a while to realize it wasn't mine. And maybe the shame too, again, was a thing I didn't have the time for because I was like, you're trying to survive, right? So I didn't come to me naturally, but when I left and I went to quit with my VP, he didn't want to let me go because first of all, they didn't know what was going on. I kept it all hidden because Mm. again, I was an identity when I was in corporate. So they didn't know anything about my personal life. So they didn't know that I was going through anything. 
So he came out of nowhere. He tried to convince me, take a few weeks off. This can't be that bad. So I had to really share everything in order for him to let me go. Then his mouth dropped and he looked at me and goes, oh, I had no idea. And then he literally looked at me and said, Sandra, I promise you, I will never tell anyone what happened. Mm. And I was like, why? And then I was walking out of the office and I remember it was, it's really cold in Canada. So I walked outside and it was this cold air hit my face and it hit me. I'm like, oh, he's saying I should be ashamed. And then it stayed with me for a while. And I really didn't talk about it very much, but it was probably a year or two into the personal development journey into trying to figure out who I am and different teacher, different mentors that I realized, oh, he tried to put his view and his perspective and of shame on me, but I naturally didn't have it. So Mm. then I did do some work to release it. And then I was able to speak openly. But interestingly enough, it wasn't innate in me. But other people do tend to put their stuff on you. (laughs) 100%. They do tend to project their junk onto you. And it's kind of similar to what you were saying when you were leaving corporate and who are you when you don't have an occupation and you've got a blank slate. Quite often people mistake their activity with their identity. But I often say we're human beings, we're not human doing. So whatever you're doing, that's great. All the activity you're doing, whether you're teaching or doing accounting or entrepreneuring, whatever you're doing, that's great. But that's not necessarily the core of who you are, the essence of your being. And that can be hard to navigate, to actually kind of lift your head up and be like, yeah, it can be hard to be like, I'm not going to play into the game of be that cog in the wheel and play this game society plays like I'm doing this and I'm climbing some ladder and I'm doing it for the approval of others. The eyes are looking on me. How did you come to that place of just being comfortable in your own skin as to where you are in that season of life? Yeah. And I think comfortable in my own skin is a journey for me. So if I look back when I was in corporate, like 11 years ago to now, I compare myself to myself and I can see the growth over time. I look back, I'm like, wow, who was that person? And I had such an outer shell in order to create comfort, but nobody home kind of thing, right? It was like a robotic Mm. experience. And it's funny because I was going through all this anxiety, nobody that I worked with knew. So that tells you how much were you showing up in any kind of real authentic self, right? So if I compare myself to myself over the years, one thing after another, different programs that I've joined, different books that I've read, different mentors that I've worked with, I've gotten more and more comfortable in my own skin, but I feel like that's a life journey. I definitely wouldn't say I've arrived. (laughs) 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 Yeah, for sure. It's a progressive journey, isn't it? Sorry, I stopped you when you were telling the story of how you fell into entrepreneurship. It was all very kind of organic, how you just started helping people and then it became this consulting coaching business. So tell us more, what problems did these folks have and how were you helping them? So initially when I started consulting, the challenge was very much in the systems in the development cycle, really. And that was my expertise because in product development, I understood what it took to go from idea to all the different stages of actually bringing something to market. So when I was meeting with these people and they had these really great ideas, I could say, oh, there's market need, there's viability, this, I'm with you. But then they would just want to rush right from, which is very common, even the entrepreneurs I work with today, is I have an idea, I'm going to launch, right? Right away. <laughs> That's me. <laughs> Nothing in between, right? It's Guilty like- as charged. Guilty. <laughs> 
I have billions of ideas all the time, yeah. <laughs> yes, and then you just explore launch, right? So in my program, I've got explore, plan, develop, and launch, and I actually take people through these stages. And everything's possible. I never want to be somebody that limits people. I'm sure tons of people that built businesses and just threw it all out there and had an idea and, and they made it happen. Anything is possible. But there's for the average person that's starting a business that may not be that genius that can just throw stuff out there. There are very important things that happen in the planning sections and in the develop sections that will directly impact their launch and then their success and, and their ability to profit. So I just naturally started to give them those solutions of, Okay, so that you've got an idea, that's great. Research this, this, and this, because you're going to need these pieces of the puzzle. And then, okay, what's the plan? Who is it that you want to speak to? What's the audience? Go and talk to some of those people. Figure out what language they're actually speaking. Like the whole target market research, mm. often I see people do it, either they Google and they do it from their own perspective. Like, oh, everybody needs this. And they need this because they have this problem and they want this solution. Are you sure that, have you asked them? Even if you're right, this is exactly the problem, this is exactly the solution, they probably have different words for their problem and different words for the solution that they want. So once you go to create your marketing, if you only use your words, you may hit a segment, but you may be missing your actual target audience because you're not using their words. So those are a lot of the things I started to do initially. And also different priorities. So it might be a problem, but it might not be the top burning priority for them and And they might be willing to stomach that pain because they don't want to spend money or time to address that problem i think that's so wise awesome exactly and are they willing to pay and how much are they willing to pay right Hmm. so i don't think you can ever check off target market research without having to speak speaking to the people that you consider to be your ideal client because the other thing people find all the time is sometimes they realize oh that's not my ideal client like i talked to even five ten people and I thought that was the ideal avatar. And then it's like, oh, no, actually, I need to adjust that ideal client and then go back out and do target market. So we're literally doing ABCs because a lot of my audience are extremely entrepreneurial. Might be from a family business, but also incubating their own businesses on the side. So how do you develop your ideal client profile? What's the ABC, the building blocks? What are the do's and the don'ts? So I see it as there's two stages when you're looking at target marketing you're doing primary and secondary research. So yes, it's great to do the secondary research, which that's where Google comes in and you know check the industry, check the competitors, what are other people offering? What is the market there? Yeah, great. Do the secondary research. And that's almost always people do that part of it. But the primary research is that conversation with the potential market. So at first you do have to do some brainstorming and figure out the demographics and the psychographics of what you're targeting. So demographics, we're all, again, most people are familiar with the age, the gender, their income levels, what makes sense for that product or service that you're building. And then there's also the psychographics, which sometimes get mixed and missed, which is really then what is the psychology of that person? Again, their problem, but really the details of that. Are they trying to get something? Are they trying to go towards something? Or are they actually, they're going to buy your product or service because they're trying to get away from something. So they're really trying to get relief instead of, are they trying to get like excitement? What is the psychology of that person that you're creating when you're basically on your own trying to create, oh, it would be this type of person, this kind of identified profile. And you're going to do your best at that stage with your primary and secondary research to narrow that down. 
Now, once you actually go out and speak to people that you've decided, okay, this looks like this would be my ideal profile, find those people. A lot of times people ask me, well, where do I find those people? I don't have friends like that. So go on groups like Facebook groups, LinkedIn groups. There are so many groups for everything. I have never had somebody come back to me and say, oh, I wasn't able to find anybody. You'll find somebody that has those combination of what you're looking for. And then when have at least, I always say at least five standard questions. You can have more, but not too much more because people aren't going to give you a whole bunch of time, but have mm-hmm. at least five standard questions. You can ask every single one of your prospects, your ideal prospects. So you get to understand what are they feeding back to you? Once you've done, sometimes people are very resistant and I say, just do five. But at the end of the conversation with that person, ask them, do you know somebody that's a lot like you that has these Mm -hmm. specific things in common with you that I can also speak to? Because those five will easily turn into 50. So Mm -hmm. if you're really resistant, at least start with five. And then you put this puzzle together where you start to see how are these people answering the questions? Is it what you thought it was? Is the problem the same that you thought it was? Is your solution matching what it is they're wanting? Looking again at the facts in terms of the demographics, as well as looking at the psychology piece. Mm. And once you've got even a little bit of research there, you'll be able to tell whether you're on the right track. Yes, this is the ideal client. I'm on the right track. Or you'll start to see that these answers are all over the map and you'll be like, something is missing here. It's like trying to figure out a puzzle, right? And this is one-on-one with people we work through these puzzles like, oh, actually I spoke to these couple of people and what they said back to me is exactly ideal. So I was missing it that Mm. they actually belong in this category, not what I was thinking. So that will always become clear when you start to go out, have a system to go out and research and then speak to actual human beings that you would think would be in your target market. And I know that sounds silly, but I can't tell you how many people come to me and say, oh, I've done target market. And then I ask them and they're like, yeah. And they'll give me their research projects that they've done all stemming from Google. That's great. Great secondary research, but where's your primary research? Wow. I have two questions. The first is, I can see how it'd be easy to get the demographic kind of data through the questionnaire. Then how do you address the psychographic? How can you really get into their mind? And what kind of elements of psychology are you trying to really unveil? That's one. And then the second is, this seems to be quite good for like B2C. So when you're dealing with individuals, what about those folks that are developing projects for B2B? Is this process the same? Is it slightly modified? Okay, so the first question is the psychographics, right? Mm -hmm. So in the psychographics, again, it's having in the questions that you're asking them, making sure you are at least a couple of questions that deal with what it is that that person is wanting to achieve. And then what you're looking for is, Again, it's the words that they're using. Using. When they're speaking, are they using language that is talking about what they're going to get from it? If I could solve this problem, I would be free from this. I would have this. I would have that. I would be able to do this or that. That's a lot of, then you know they're towards, those kind of people are going to want marketing that's exciting. That's like getting them really pumped up. And it's like your rainbows and sunshine. Then there's going to be the people that are going to actually answer you in a very away from language. Where they're going to be like, oh, if you could solve this problem and I never had to deal with that again, and I could get rid of that and that would never show up in my life. So then you're starting to see that, oh, so my target market actually wants a lot of the, 
which sometimes people say it's negative marketing, but it's a lot of away from language. Mm-hmm. Like this will free you from this. You will never okay. have to see this again, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So it, that's the basics. I mean, we can get more deep, but it's the basics of understanding where are they in trying to solve their problem? Are they more positive high vibe or are they more just tell me you're going to get rid of this thing? So that's a really good clue. Now in business to business, so in my corporate background, what I did was all business to business. So I worked for a billion dollar company and in product development, we were making deals with McDonald's. So my understanding of product development from business to business comes from corporate. The entrepreneurs that I work with are all business to consumer. Those are the two things. So in the business to business world, I find it was still the same basic principles because I still had to connect with a partner on the other end. And I still had to have a clear understanding of what I was trying to get to them. So I was still, I had a lot more than five questions at that point. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's just stuff to go through. But I was still using the same system as in I was when I would meet with them. Okay, what is it that they're really trying to get out into this product? So we're going to partner and we're going to try and meet a market need and market, market demand. This is what I'm trying to do from my company perspective. How does that meet what you're trying to do for your clients? So in terms of a high-level system, I feel like it's very similar. But yes, definitely a work now with entrepreneurs are entrepreneurs that are working business to consumer. Amazing. That's really great. So how do you help them? Tell us more about what you do and the journey you take them on, the benefits from them working with you. Yeah. So the very unique thing that I do is I do play in that arena of the business development and the personal development. And I do that again because of my personal journey. And I think that most entrepreneurs that are in business these days, and maybe just the people I talk to, they are expressing their journey, right? They're like, they've been through something and some colors of that is going to show up in their business. They have Mm -hmm. a mission because I've been through this and I want to help other people. So that Mm -hmm. seems to me like a common thread to a lot of entrepreneurs that I talk to. So because of my journey of, healing from anxiety and then dealing with identity crisis and then trying to figure out who am I, what's my purpose and all of the work that I've done in personal development, I've really married that with the business development. So I take my 20 years of business development expertise and then the 10 years of personal development. So in my program, it's actually called Idea to Profit. I do take them through the phases of the explore, plan, develop and launch. But every phase is a mix of what typically comes up in personal development in those phases, as well as what are the key things that you have to cover in those phases. Mm -hmm. So it is unique. And I do meet with everybody before they come into the program. So I don't have any buy button on my website. So it's not like somebody's going to get into it and be like, what is this? Like I'm very clear and upfront of what it is. And it really is somebody that is wanting, willing and wanting to do the inner work and the outer work. Mm. There's plenty of people that are building businesses that whatever they do for their human self is completely separate. And they just want somebody to help them build a business and make money. There is a ton of business coaches that can do that. So I don't feel the need to have to do that. That market need is well served. For me, it really is for those people that are already curious, are already Mm -hmm. asking the questions of what is my purpose? How can I turn my passion into profit? And I do work with a lot of people that are in the transition from job to business. So those things of identity crisis and how to value your work when it's very different when you have a salary. I mean, Mm -hmm. I have a lot of people that I work with. They're like, I had no problem asking for bonuses. I had no problem asking for salary increase. But now I'm just exchanging even $2,000. And I'm like, why can't I ask for $2,000? But it's a whole other game, right? 
Completely, completely. And I was just thinking about what you were talking about, turning purpose into weaving that, like the congruence of your business development and your personal development and what have you. What about those that say this sounds like hobby entrepreneurship and it's not... It's not sustainable. It's not profitable. People need to start real businesses. What do you have to say to them? I would, first, I would say more power to you. Go do you. I am not in a place of, I am right. You were wrong and you need to do it this way. And if you do it that way, you're wrong. There's like millions of ways to do anything. I just find that for me and the people that are my ideal clients and that are a match that I can help the most. I mean, I certainly can help somebody just do a pure business development and actually make profit. I surely can. But I feel like when I was four or five years ago, I started to feel like when I did that, I was handcuffed. Like I was not able to fully help that person. Like I would start to see all these things they're showing up. They're self-sabotaging. They're creating a lot of pain for themselves. They're just building all of this, like taking their emotions and stuffing them down. And then they would have overwhelm. They would have all these things come up. And I felt like I was handcuffed. I could help you, but that's not what you hired me for. And then I didn't feel in integrity and I didn't feel authentic to myself. So Mm -hmm. then that's when I changed my marketing and my clean message. This is what you're getting. So you know what you're getting before you come in. So if somebody has that opinion, like, what do you have to think about yourself and your identity and looking at value and all that? You're wasting your time. Just build a business, just build a product, go out there and sell it, make money and get over. Great. You do that. That's right for you. You go ahead and do that. No judgment. That's just not my best ability to help someone like that. Mm. And I would argue that we're not compartmentalized beings, we're fully congruent beings. And business is more about psychology than it is about economics, in my view. Yes. I mean, I definitely agree. Now, I do know because in consulting, I definitely only consulted on the business aspect. So I do know a lot of entrepreneurs that, how are you rating success, right? If we're saying success is multi-million dollars, then I definitely know a lot of entrepreneurs that keep their true selves at home, let's just call it that, when they're running their business. And they have very big multi-million dollar businesses. So I see it. It's evident to me that you can create very profitable businesses and not address your inner self at all. That's very true. That's a choice. Mm-hmm. So if that's what's right for you, that's what's right, right for, you. for you. For those that do want to address their inner selves, for instance, those that self-sabotage, What's at the root of that? Is there a common root for most people or is it really on a case-by-case basis? And following on from that, what can they do to address that? So I think if you actually get to the root, which I feel like takes a little bit of work to get there, then the root, typically what I've seen is it does come down to value and worthiness, like at the root, but often people don't get to the root because they do a little bit of work and then they're like, that's good enough. I got enough. I got some good answers and I'm going to go on to the next thing. And that's perfectly fine. But the people that are really curious and just want to keep digging and like peeling that onion and they're like, well, what does this mean now? And then I'm going to question this thought and this belief. If you peel that onion enough, in my own experience and watching people do it, there is some core of belief somewhere in your life. You pick this up, but there's something that's saying that I'm not worthy of whatever it is you're looking at. And then the self-sabotage tends to stem from that. But I definitely have worked with a lot of people that peel the first two to three layers and they get a good aha and they know what they need to change and do to get closer to what they want and kind of stop that self-sabotage. And they never actually go down to the root. So I've seen both. No, this is really, really fascinating. I love 
the world of psychology. I'm like a self-trained psychologist. <laughs> I like that. I'm intrigued. I'm just always intrigued by the way the mind works. And like I said, I truly believe business is psychology and economics is just by the side. <laughs> so my last question for you, Sandra, what legacy do you want to leave? You know, the legacy that I want to leave doesn't have as much to do with what I did in terms of, oh, look, she'd made this much money or she'd had this accomplishment or she did that. That doesn't feel true for me at this stage of my life. The legacy I want to leave, especially with my kids, is having them see somebody that has done a lot of inner work, that Mm. responds instead of reacts, that Mm. accepts other people's beliefs, doesn't need to fight other people because they are so adamant on their belief, but yet holds on to my belief without saying, okay, well, therefore everyone is saying this, so I must be wrong. But still what I show my kids on a regular basis is I really believe this. This is why I believe it. And I understand these people that don't believe it. And that's perfectly okay. So I think it comes down to, I'd like to have the legacy be, she really worked on becoming a better human and got better and better at compassion. I think I would love to have that. (laughs) I really love that. It's really just back to humanity. I really, really do love that. This has been amazing having you on, Sandra. If anyone wants to get hold of you, how best can they reach you? The best place is my website. It's sandraifrancisco.com and the social links are there and you can just click contact and ask me any questions. I'm happy to connect with people. Incredible. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for having me. I've really enjoyed our conversation as always. Awesome. I want to have a little bit of a follow-on conversation from last week's outro as well as as a result of the reflecting upon mine and Sandra's conversation. And we had this conversation on identity versus activity and how oftentimes when we have a change in season, whether it's professionally and personally and what have you, when we have a change of the activities that we're doing, we can often feel like we've lost our identities And we're not human doings, we're human beings. And so there's a need to really reflect very strongly on core identity as opposed to identifying self by what it is that one does. And as I was reflecting, I realized that it was a really great opportunity to really reflect on founders and how they find it so hard to let go because there's just this wrapping up of their identity in the businesses that they've built over the years. And I am quite fascinated by connection, connection, connected families, meaningful connections. I really, really think connection is just like my life word. And it's something that has completely transformed my life. So as you do, I decided to do a little bit of research on the origin of the word connection. So connection came into the English language in the 15th century, derived from a Latin word, which means to join together. But over time, the meaning of connection, connect, was expanded. So in 1881, it was expanded to mean establishing a relationship. In 1926, it was expanded to mean to get in touch with calling someone I connected with Nikkei. And then in 1942, it was expanded to mean experiencing empathy with another person. And for me, that last definition is what I take away from the word connection. Connection is empathy. Connection is being able to feel, see, experience 
life as the other person would. And I really would implore us as next gens. It's hard. It's hard. <laughs> I've had some interesting conversations as of late with a number of you that are just really finding it very difficult to deal with parents that are just not letting go of the business and still micromanaging. It's hard, but we need to develop empathy. And I would encourage to do an empathy map. And what is it that the founder's feeling, thinking, seeing? If you don't know, maybe ask. There'll be things that he or she will say, but there'll be things that he or she will not say. And when we really start to experience and understand life through the prism and lens through which other people do, then they're able to hear us. When they feel seen and heard is when they will see and hear. So I would really encourage you to connect and be that connected generation. So thank you so much for tuning in. As always, share the love, share, please share. (laughs) And follow, subscribe. If you're on Apple, it's now follow, just like on Instagram, right? And on Spotify, it's follow as well. On Google Play, I think it's subscribe. But just be connected. Be connected to the connected generation because we've got a lot of super amazing content coming up in the next few months. So thank you once again. Take good care and God bless you.